0: Before time itself was measured, the voice was speaking. His speech colored the canvas of the cosmos. His breath filled all things with a living, breathing light. But this new creation, the very good dwelling in delight, reached for mouth-watering wisdom and took a bite. With paradise behind them, they trod the dirt from which they'd been made, hoping, praying someday the voice would enter our world. He did, and nothing would ever be the same. Welcome, everybody, to The Weekend. Uh, Before we jump into our message this weekend, I just want to talk a little bit about last weekend. You know, in the message last weekend... I concluded with um, a story where I was kind of vulnerable and transparent about some things that I am challenged by, And, and the next thing I know, I go into my office on Monday, and all around my office were placed these stuffed little squirrels. Not one, but several of them were placed strategically around my library, and even in a little refrigerator that I have in my, my office. And I thought to myself, you know, you try to be transparent. You try to be vulnerable. You try to share a little bit of your life. And people just don't seem to appreciate it. Ah, anyway, I know it was just a joke. And I do appreciate that. And these are cute little stuffed squirrels. But I got to tell you, I still, I still hate squirrels. Now, if you're wondering what on earth are you talking about because you missed last weekend, that's why you can go online and check out the message. You'll find out what squirrels are all about. This weekend, let's talk about something that we all have to kind of wrestle with at some point in our life. You probably have, or you may at some point. And that is, who are you going to spend the rest of your life with? That's like a really important question. You know, who's that person going to be that you're going to pledge your soul and your body to? Who you're going to stick with come poverty or riches, come sickness or health? Who's that person you're going to go to sleep with at night and wake up with in the morning every day? Who is that person you'll allow to lay their head on your chest and hear your heartbeat? You know, that question for some people, it is very scary. And some people are actually very skeptical about that kind of a question. It's just hard to imagine some like someone like that in their life, where they've been burned by someone they tried to trust in that way. It is, a, it is a risky business, this whole thing about love. It's kind of dangerous. Because if you really, really love someone, if you truly love somebody, you then understand that there's a, part of you that you give away, and that's your independence. There's this sense of surrender to that person. So you really want to know that you can trust that person, that you could be all in with that individual. In fact, Jesus refers to this whole idea in the Gospel of Luke. He spoke these words. He said, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. And if you let your life go, You will save it. And some of you are thinking to yourself, I let my life go to this person or that person. And I didn't didn't save it. I I lost it. Well, that happens in human relationships. But Jesus is inviting us into a very special relationship with him. And he's telling us that if we will surrender ourselves to him, if we'll lose our individuality or our independence, so to speak, we'll find ourselves and the uniqueness that God has given to each one of us. I want to welcome you to this first season in our series from Head to Lab, and the second message, where I want to talk to you about this whole issue of surrendering ourselves completely to the Lord. And what I want to do is I want to focus on who He is, not so much on who I am, or who you are. Because, you know, if I know who he really is, then it's much easier for me to surrender myself to his presence. Because what we're talking about here is a movement where where we become absorbed into Christ, and Christ becomes absorbed into us. What we're not talking about in this series, from head to heart, most interior part of our lives. We're not talking about becoming like Jesus. That doesn't work. Dallas Willard, in one of his books, gives us an illustration of this. He talks about a, a boy who just has this professional baseball player who's his hero. And he tries so much to emulate that home run hitter that he looks up to, that he goes out and he buys the same brand of shoes that the professional wears. He buys the same kind of jersey. He buys the same brand of glove. He buys the same kind of bat, the same kind of batter's gloves. He watches the player that he wants to emulate. He, he learns to stand like that player. He learns, he learns how to hold a bat like that player. He learns how to hold his, his batting helmet the right way. And he even learns how to spit like that player. Because he wants to be a home run king as well. And then that boy goes into the game, and he stands at the plate, and the pitch comes across, and he swings, and he strikes out. What happened? He looks a lot like the professional. He's got the looks, he's got the mannerisms all down, but he doesn't have that talent. He's not that player, so he can't possibly be just like that player. He can try, He might be able to get close as he grows older and more skilled. But only that player can be that player. All right, do you remember uh, years ago, there was this uh, campaign based around WWJD, What Would Jesus Do? And maybe you wore one of those bands. You know, what would Jesus do? And it's a great concept. But if all I do is go through life, and when I hit a crisis or or a challenge, decide to myself, okay, well, what would Jesus do in this instance? I'm going to ultimately fail miserably. Because if I just try to imitate the life of Jesus, I can't do that. I, I, the only way I can be like Jesus is I would have to have Jesus in me. But in order to have Jesus in me, I've got to be willing to give up my independence, i got to be willing to let him fill up my life. If we're going to know the heart of God, it can't be my heart on the outside and his heart way over here someplace. It has to be emerging. It has to be his heart coming in and taking over my heart. So the question becomes, who is Jesus then? I mean, is he who he really claims to be? And before you quickly say, well, I I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that all along. Before you do that, let's let's hear what John has to say to us about his best friend, Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. John writes in John chapter 1, In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Now John later on writes another little letter, all right, it's called First John, and he says something very, very similar to what we just read here. He says, we proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning. we have heard and seen, we saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. In other words, we saw God. We touched God, the one who has always been. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. Notice what John is saying is, look, we've seen Him, we've touched Him, we've heard Him, His, His Spirit has come into us and we want the same for you so that you'll be filled with his joy. We don't want you to be like Jesus. We want you to allow Jesus become himself in you. We want you to have this, this intimacy with him. I mean, that's really radical and profound if you think about it. That I am being given an opportunity as a human being to have he who is supernatural, who has always been, actually come and live into my life. Now, if what we believe is true, that he is who he claims to be, the eternal son of God, that he died, that he rose, that he's seen in the heavenly places, then let me ask you a question. What is there to fear in life? If you really believe that Jesus is the son of God and he's come into your heart, what is there to fear in life? If you really believe that's who he is, that he is the matchless son of God, then honestly, if you think about it, Do you ever have a bad day? Because he's always with you. And should we ever be worried about death or suffering? Because ultimately we know that when we pass this life, we come into his holy and sacred presence. Now listen, this is where I think a lot of us can say and confess, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but When it comes to our actual practice, we look more like atheists or agnostics. That is, our confession doesn't match up with how we view ourselves, how we view God, how we view others, how we view our circumstances. That if people just watched our lives, the way we talk, the way we treat others, the way we worry, the way we get upset, they would think to to themselves that we don't know who God really is. Because if you really know him and he really lives in your life, we ought to be very radically different people. So maybe what we need to do is rethink a little bit who Jesus is. And to do that, let me start with an interesting quote from Greg Kokel, who is an apologist that, you know, helps defend the faith and help people see who God really is. And he wrote these words. He said, Jesus was not crucified for what he taught, but who he claimed to be, the Son of God. And that's true. And it still kind of happens today. I mean, there are still people today that, in a sense, crucify Jesus over and over again because, because they don't believe who he ultimately is that he is the Son of God. And the question becomes, well, why do people doubt? Why do people disbelieve who Jesus is? For instance, our Muslim friends, our, our religious Jewish friends, have a real hard time believing that Jesus is the Son of God because when they, when, they, when they hear that, it sounds like we Christians believe in, you know, multiple gods like the pagans. You know, we talk about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so for them, it doesn't make sense But we as Christians don't believe in multiple gods. We believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One essence, three distinct personalities. It is a mystery. It is a mystery. But we do believe in one God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. One in essence, but three distinct personalities. Moderns have a hard time with Jesus because for them, Jesus is just too exclusive. Um... Jesus, after all, did say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. And moderns just have a hard time with Jesus being the only way. I mean, that's oppressive. Why can't Jesus be a way? Why can't Jesus be like Aristotle or Plato or Buddha or Confucius? Then, then Jesus is acceptable in a modern secularist mind. If Jesus is like that, I mean, then it's just a matter of his teachings. And, you know, if you embrace and follow his teachings, your life will get better. And that's all very true. I mean, honestly, if all you did is say, I, I don't believe he's the son of God, but I want to follow his teachings— you'd have a better life we'd have a better world if you took many of the religious gurus you know buddha confucius and kind of followed their ethics and their their teachings yes you'd you'd have a better life you have better world but no one ever has see no one ever has c.s lewis put it this way he said if christianity only means one more bit of good advice Christianity is of no importance. There's been no lack of good advice for the past 4,000 years. John, writing to the church, warns believers, don't accept anybody, don't believe anybody that tells you that Jesus is less than God. Here's what he said, and who is the liar? Anyone who says that Jesus is not the Christ Anyone who denies the Father and the Son is antichrist. Anyone who denies the Son doesn't have the Father either. But anyone who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So you must remain faithful to what you have been taught from the beginning. If you do, you remain in the fellowship with the Son and with the Father. And in this fellowship, we enjoy the eternal life He promised us, all of us. So, no room for Jesus being less than the Son of God. Now, think about the implications. Number one, if Jesus is the Son of God, it affects how you see and think about yourself and about God. How you see Jesus influences how you think and view not only God, but yourself. Number two. How you see and think about Jesus determines how you view and see others like your spouse, kids, parents, friends, and even your enemies, right? Next, how you see and think about Jesus determines how you view material things, suffering, the past, the future, death, and eternity. So let me ask you, how does how you see and think and feel about Jesus, how, how does it affect how you view yourself, how you view others, and how you view your circumstances. And does how you see and view those people and those things does it match up to a fierce belief and conviction that Jesus is the Son of God? Or is there a disparity between the two? See, to the depth that I believe he's the Son of God, it's going to radically change my life and radically change my relationships. I think one of the problems is that as even Christians, we sometimes get too focused on Jesus' humanity and we forget about his deity. That happened, I think, to one of Jesus' followers, Philip. And it all came about in a conversation about Jesus declaring who he was as being the only way. Let's pick it up in John chapter 14. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father, and the Father's in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Evidently, Jesus was so human that Philip forgot about his deity. And Jesus is so human, but he is so God. He's also deity. And we have to embrace him that way. So let's explore more. This whole concept of the deity of Christ, his his being very God as well. In John chapter 1, verse 14, what's called the New American Standard version of the Bible, we have an old word that I want to examine with you for just a moment. Listen to what John 1, 14 says. And the word became flesh, that's Jesus, and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. What is this word, begotten? What does that that old word really mean? In uh, his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis focuses on this word, begotten. And he says what begotten means is to be the same as another. Now, in a human perspective, it would be like, it would be like, Having a child, okay? You could say that I begat this child because this child, all right, is the same as me. It's a human being. My children are human beings. They're like, they're not like me, but they are as me, okay? They're the same as me. Jesus is the same as the Father. He is begotten of the Father. That does not refer to his incarnation and birth as a human, it does not mean that he was created to become a son. It means that he has always been the same. From the beginning, before time, he has always been the same as the Father. Again, in John, we read these words. It says, no one has seen God at any time. The only, here we go again, the only begotten God, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. That is, he's revealed God to us. So begotten means the same as. Let's talk about this concept that Jesus is in the bosom of the Father. This is fun, okay? It's mysterious, it's fun. God, the Father, does not have a chest, okay? He's immaterial. And Jesus, before he became human, didn't have a chest, so to speak. So how is it possible that they could be in each other's chest, in each other's bosom? Well, John is trying so hard to use words to help us understand this connectedness, this this essence of, of God, that they share, as Tim Keller says, the same love's. They share the same communion. They share the same values. They have the same penetrating consciousness of one another, and yet they can still talk to each other. Man, that is a mystery, isn't it? But think about this. That is the God who wants to come and dwell in you and dwell in me in this heart leb, soul, interior kind of connection. Does that excite you? Have you explored that? Do you enjoy that on a day-to-day basis? It's transforming. It's radically transforming. Do you feel that transformation? Are you living it out in your life? Or has your belief in God just become a matter of the head and the heart's been left out? We can't go on this trek with Jesus if it doesn't include our hearts. We don't live with this daily awareness, this practice, of the very essence and presence of God living in and through our hearts and our lives. You know, John chapter 17, verse 5, it says that the Father and the Son share the same glory. Hebrews chapter 1 puts it this way, the Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God, and he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. I just want to focus on this idea that the sun radiates God's own glory for just a moment. To again, help us come to grips with the uniqueness of who Jesus is. And in order to do that, I want to do a little demonstration over here. So, I've got this mirror, and for the sake of our demonstration, I want you to imagine that this mirror, okay, that it represents, let's say in this case, it represents Jesus, and I'll represent the Father. And uh, I'm going to turn my light on here. We're going to make things really dark right now, and I want you to watch what happens when I point this light at the mirror, okay? I am radiating this light into the mirror, and the mirror is relating that light back to me, okay? It's reflecting it back on to me. So my glory is being poured into the mirror, and the, and the glory in the mirror is being poured back at me. Now, here's my point in all of this. It's not a good illustration in the sense that that mirror is separate from me, okay? Jesus is not separate from the Father. They are one. But there's still this sense in which they pour into each other. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's like this holy circle. They are pouring into each other the glory of God. All right? I'll turn the light off here, and we'll go back and try to understand this better. Okay? Not only does the Bible talk about the fact that Jesus is begotten, Okay, that is, he's the same as God. But the Bible goes on, we read it in John, how the Father and the Son, we're going to talk more about this next weekend, in particular, how they decided then to create life, and in particular, human life. And what God creates in his creation is not the same as him, but it is like him. It is like him. So, space is vast like God is vast, okay? Matter has energy, like God has energy. Or uh, bees are active, like God is active. Or vegetation has life, like God has life. And And then God created human beings. And we are the most like God of any of the rest of his creation. We are not begotten. We're not the same as God. But we are the most like God. I'm going to talk more about that next weekend. And God created us out of his love. His love for himself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and the fellowship that they have with one another, and the desire to share that love with others. And so I want you again to imagine this, we'll demonstrate it again, that this time the mirror represents you and me. So God creates us, okay, and then we'll cut our lights and we'll shine the glory, so to speak, onto the mirror that represents you and me. God's intention was that he would shine his glory into our lives, and would give us an opportunity, like in the Trinity, to reflect that glory back to him and to enjoy receiving it and to enjoy reflecting it back. All right, I'll turn my light off. But what did human beings do? Again, we'll talk more about this next weekend. Rather than receiving and reflecting back the glory of God, human beings decided to do what? to turn their back on God and say, we want to be our own essence. We don't want to be part of yours. Now, if I take the mirror that you saw and I put it in a dark room and I close the door, will it emit any light? Absolutely not. It cannot emit what's not being reflected into it. It'll be dark. It'll be dull. And that's what happened to you and me. And we are born that way because our original parents dejected, rejected what God had for them. And that's why Jesus came in the flesh. And like his story of the prodigal son, he goes and he finds us, and he wants to bring us back into relationship with God, so once again, God can fill us with his light, with his life, with his glory, with his radiance. Listen to what the scriptures say. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live where? In him and he in us. This is so important. When you accept Christ, you don't become like him. He comes into you. His spirit comes into you. And you live in him and he lives in you. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the father sent his son to be the savior of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect, so we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. We live like Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is living in us. Paul goes on in Romans, and he says this. He says, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given To us. I just want you for a moment, just for a moment, I want you to imagine that your your life, your soul is a container. And God is wanting to pour in his presence, pour in his love, his glory into your life. Do you feel full? Do you feel full and running over? Or has something displaced his presence? Has unforgiveness displaced his presence? Has fear displaced his presence? Has lust displaced his presence? Is there something in your life that's taking up that space, worry, anxiety, whatever it is, instead of God's fullness and God's joy and God's love and God's presence and God's power? Listen, you are not simply a mortal human being. You are immortal. You have the immortal presence of God in your life. You need to let it drench your life. You need to let it soak your life. You need to let it fill your life. When someone truly knows the presence of God in their life, it just radically changes them no matter what. This uh, summer, while Marcia and I were on some long road trips. We listened in the car to the biographies of great Christians, and one of the biographies we listened to was that of Corrie ten Boom. Many of you have heard her story. I've heard her story before, but we listened to it again. But this time, what truly impacted my life was not the story of Corrie ten Boom, But the story of her sister Betsy. I never had really known much about Betsy. But in many ways, her faith eclipses that of her own sister. And it's because of her deep awareness of the presence of God. Betsy and her sister Corey and their father hid Jews when the Nazis were invading the Netherlands. They ran an underground as well to get Jews out of the Netherlands and they were betrayed by somebody that they knew and ended up having to be arrested and taken to concentration camps. The first was Wucht. The second one was Ravensbrück. And fortunately, the sisters were able to stay together in those terrible, terrible circumstances. Corey writes about her sister and the biographer tells about the sister. And I want to read some excerpts to you because they're, they're powerful. And they're such a great demonstration of what it means to really know the presence of God in your life. Corey says, from the moment that the Netherlands was invaded and they were arrested, they began to pray for the people of the Netherlands. Began to pray for the Jews. They began to pray for the underground that it would continue. They began to pray for the Queen of the Netherlands. And she says, we also began to pray for the Germans. Well, not we, Betsy did. She says, Betsy started praying for the Germans, the ones who were dropping the bombs. She saw them as being entangled in a great evil that had been loosed on Germany. Corey looked at her sister in amazement. Then continued her own prayers, whispering, "Oh Lord, listen to Betsy, not me, because I cannot pray for those soldiers at all." When they're in the concentration of Woot, Betsy talked to Corey about teaching the other women around them to love. She says, "You know, if people can learn to hate, then they can also learn how to love." And that's when Corey realized that Betsy was not just talking about their fellow prisoners, but about the, G- about the Germans as well. Ah, oh, Corey, when she realized that, said, as I glanced at the woman Nazi, the soldier sitting at the desk ahead of us, all I could see was a gray uniform and a visor hat. But Betsy, she looked at our enemy and saw a wonderful human being and I wondered, not for the first time, what sort of person she was, this sister of mine, what kind of road she followed while I trudged beside her on an all-too-solid earth. Later on, Corey says, we found out who betrayed us to the Gestapo. And I was furious, she said. Flames of fire seemed to leap around in my heart, I thought of Father's final hours at the hands of the Nazis, of the underground work so abruptly halted, and I knew that if he stood in front of me now, I could kill him. All of me ached with the violence of my feelings about the man who had done us so much harm. That night I did not sleep, but Betsy didn't seem to harbor the same rage. Betsy, don't you, don't you feel anything about him? Doesn't it bother you? Betsy answered, oh, oh, yes, Corey, terribly. I've felt for him ever since I knew and pray for him whenever his name comes into my mind. How dreadfully he must be suffering. Corey said, For a long time, I lay silent in a huge, shadowy barracks, restless with sighs, snores, stirrings of hundreds of women. Once again, I had the feeling that the sister with whom I had spent all my life belonged somehow to another order of beings. How could she pray for that man that way? Well, later on, they were moved to Ravensbrook, and Betsy insisted. She and Corey do as the scripture said and thank God for everything in the barracks that they found and everything in their circumstances. Corey wondered what there was to be thankful for. Betsy started listing things like, you know, we could be thankful that we're assigned to the same barracks, and Corey agreed. We can be thankful for the Bible that we've been able to smuggle in, and Corey agreed. We can be thankful for the extreme overcrowding which allows for more women to have an opportunity to share in our daily devotions. And Corey agreed reluctantly. And we can thank God for the fleas. No, Corey was not going to do that. Betsy, there's no way even God can make me grateful for a flea. Give thanks in all circumstances, Betsy said. He doesn't say in pleasant circumstances. Fleas are part of this place where God has put us And so, Corey says, we stood between the piers of bunks and gave thanks for fleas. But this time I was sure Betsy was wrong. Time went on and Betsy and Corey began holding nightly worship service in the back of the barracks. Corey says they were services like no others these times in the barracks A single meeting might include a recital of the Magnificat in Latin by a group of Roman Catholics, a whispered hymn by some Lutherans, and a solo voice chant by Eastern Orthodox women. With each moment, the crowd around us would swell, packing the nearby platforms, hanging over the edges until the high structures groaned and swayed. At last, either Betsy or I would open the Bible because only the Hollanders could understand the Dutch text. We would translate aloud in German, and then we would hear the life-giving words pass back along the aisles in French, Polish, Russian, Czech, back into Dutch. There were little previews of heaven those evenings besides the light bulb. And despite making no attempt to hide what they were doing, no one ever tried to stop the services. In fact, there's almost no supervision in the barracks at all. Well, one day, Corey came back, from work to find Betsy looking very happy. You see, they were assigned to different working groups. And Corey asked her why. You know, we've, won- we've often never understood why we had so much freedom in this big room, Betsy said. Well, I found out that afternoon there'd been confusion in her knitting group about sock sizes, and they asked the supervisor to come and settle it, but she wouldn't. She wouldn't step to the door, said Betsy, said Betsy and neither would the guards. And do you know why, Corey? Because of the fleas. Betsy could not keep the triumph from her voice. That's what she said. That place is crawling with fleas. <laughs> because of a medical condition, Betsy was never very strong. And when she got to Ravensbrook, she became even more ill. In December, shortly before Christmas, she told Corey that they were both going to be released soon. She just knew it. The next day, Betsy passed away at the age of 59. And just after Christmas, Corey was released. Didn't know why. She was just released and returned home. Now, here's the question I want to ask you Do you think Betsy believed that Jesus? was and is the Son of God? I think so. I think she was so aware of who Jesus was and so aware of his presence in her life that she saw things in an entirely different way than even her godly sister, Corey did. Who do you believe Jesus is? And how is that changing your life? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus, the Son of God, for his life, for who he is. Forgive us, Lord, for when we behave more like atheists and agnostics. Lord, on this communion weekend, as we celebrate his life and his death for our sins, may we let Jesus fill our entire beings with his presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Well... Hopefully by now you have some communion elements in front of you. If not, quickly get some. Grab the bread, grab the juice that you're going to use. And we're reminded this weekend that though being very God, Jesus took on human flesh in order to reconcile us to God. In your packet, if you have one, or the elements you've gathered together from your home or wherever you are, There's a piece of bread, and the bread represents his body that was given for you and for me. Jesus said, whenever you eat this bread, remember me. Remember it represents my life that was given for you. Take and eat. And then there's the cup. The cup represents the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. Because of his sacrifice, we are forgiven our sins. Jesus said, this cup is a new covenant to my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Father, we thank you for this meal. What a beautiful way to end, Lord, our time together. To think how you, infinite God, gave up your life in order to be able to come into our lives. No longer do you reflect your glory to us from the outside, but you want to reflect your glory from the inside. Jesus, take all of me, have all of me, have all of us. May we beam with your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This week, you have one very simple assignment. Take time every day to be aware and to practice the presence of God who is in you. And I'll see you next weekend.